The reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan who, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Amen. Thank you, James. And as I say, may God's name be blessed through the public reading of his word. Sorry, guys. Good morning, everybody. Uh, um, for those of you who are following us from Zoom, um, some people have been surprised by looking at my Christmas jumper. So uh, Dave Carhill is commenting. I think there is another one next Sunday, and there is another one on Christmas Day. But uh, today I'll be talking about joy. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that is ancient and yet still alive. And we thank you, Lord, for this moment that we have to pause and to receive from your Spirit things that you want us to ponder, things that you want us to be focusing on.
so we can continue to worship you. We can continue to wait for you. We thank you, Lord, for this season of Advent. Thank you for this great reminder of your coming. So come and minister. Come and speak to us through your words this morning and continue as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, as, as I've said uh, previously, I've had to adjust a little bit the, where we're going with Advent this year, and I've basically taken each week as it has come. Um, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Mark Emicho, I'm the minister here, and um, this year we're doing the Advent in a different way with the candles. Uh, each, each Sunday we, we're using different color candles as um, previously we've been using the four red ones and the white one. And um, we've talked about um, um, the, the meaning of the previous uh, Sundays and today we're going to be focusing on joy. And uh, um, if you follow the kind of the liturgical year, um, today's reading falls under uh, the reading that um, James read about John the Baptist. And where does John the Baptist fit with joy? And this is what we're going to explore today. And before I uh, expand a little bit on the scriptures, I wanted to start with an illustration. Um, we have, well, I've lived in England for almost 11 years. We moved here. And one of the things that really struck me when, when I first came uh, to the UK was um, the, the good way that the blue light drivers were using the blue lights. Uh, where I come from, uh, Albania, there was quite a big abuse with blue lights. So you'd have ambulance drivers putting blue lights to go and have their coffee in the seafront. Uh, something that it's not expected to be done, but it has happened. So I come here and I think, oh, people are not abusing with it. And uh, um, this week I've been drawn to a few um, videos, really, with uh, how the emergency um, people uh, kind of try to manage and uh, navigate and how, how they work towards safety. And as I was been looking at those videos and as, as I have been thinking about this kind of the, the blue lights and the, the things that, 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 that they represent, I thought of John the Baptist, that actually John the Baptist coming into the picture, it was not a false alarm. It was quite appropriate and was quite uh, needed. So we, we, we read um, in the scriptures about who John was. And I think we've touched, uh, as I promised to you, we touched a little bit in the first Sunday of Advent when we talked about Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah and how they uh, got the miracle that they got with having John. And now John has got this role, has got this role of of preparing the way of, of the Lord. And uh, John the Evangelist is not hesitant to, to talk us through what, John, um, what John's mission is. And we're going to be stopping in a few 
um, areas there. But, but there, is, there is one thing that is very clear here, that, that actually in John we've got the personification of Advent because he is the forerunner. He is the guy who is actually showing the way to the Messiah, to Christ, to the promised one. And if we know where we are in the history of the people of Israel, we've got the last prophet, Malachi, and then we've got the, the 400 years of silence, and then we've got, as I said, John the Baptist, who is basically the last, he's the climax of the Old Testament prophets, but also he's the, the, the forerunner, he's the presenter, he's the pointer of this new era of the kingdom of God. So in one sense, we've got the, the, the figure of John the Baptist, who is the bridge, who is linking the Old Testament with the New Testament. And um, as, as we read in this morning from John chapter 1, people were asking him, so, so if, if, if they've seen him in, in ministry, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And are you a prophet? And if you can see, John's answer is deliberately very reserved because he knows where he's going. He knows that he is going to, to, to see uh, Jesus come into the picture, and he's got this important role. So John replies, I am the voice of the one who is calling in the deserts. And as I said last week, as we talked a little bit about Isaiah 40, um, this was the, that voice of the desert. And all four of the Gospels talk about John having this, this uh, ministry of being the, vo the voice. So if we, if we see a little bit what, what's happening here is that if, if Jesus is the Logos, according to John, he's just started the, the gospel with, in the beginning there was the word, was the Logos. Then John the Baptist is the voice of that Logos, is the phone. That's, that's what it says there. That's, that's what it is in Greek. So he's got a very instrumental ministry here. I am the voice of the one who's calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. I am the one who is preparing, says John, the way that um, the Lord Jesus is going to be coming. So that's where John starts. In this kind of conversation where he is and what he's wanting to do. And his ministry was mainly in the deserts. But when it comes to Jesus, he knows very well where he stands. And there is this element here of witness and testimony. And there's two things that John proclaims and he witnesses about Christ. When he says, um, first, first, first of all, he, he talks about the Lamb of God. When, when Jesus is coming to be baptized, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. We're not going to stop here because we did the Behold ser series 
Uh, and if you wanted to hear that sermon, um, you can go on the, on the website about Behold the Lamb of God. So that's one thing that John testifies, that Jesus has come to accomplish that, that salvation, to save people from their sins. Behold the Lamb of God. The sacrifice, the sacrificial system is fulfilled now in Christ. But there is another testimony that John testifies here, and that's towards the end um, of, the verse, um, of the verses that we read. And it says in verse 33, is the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have testified that this is the Son of God. Not only the behold the Lamb of God, but this is the Son of God. So here we've got this, in the eyes of the world, this weirdo, this prophet, who's eating strange food, strange diet, who's dressed um, in a way that is not attractive, and he's got this ministry, and he's testifying who Christ is. He's forerunning the ministry. That's why I'm saying that he's the personification of Advent, because in one sense, he's pointing to Christ. He's pointing to his coming. And he wanted to make sure for people to know that he was not the Messiah. Later on in John uh, chapter 3, he's going to, to explain a little bit what does he mean by that? And he's going to take an example of a Near Eastern wedding. If you open your Bibles at John chapter 3, verse 26 to uh, 30, it talks a little bit about his, his role. So he says, um, so the disciples, John disciples, come to him, and they said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who you testified about, well, he's baptizing everyone and is going to him. And to this John replied, A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who tends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete, says John the Baptist. He must become greater, and I must become less. That joy must, is complete now. That I see that the Messiah is in the focus, that the Messiah has, has really um, have the, has got this growing impact in his ministry. I am not the Messiah. I want to be lesser. And he tells this to his followers, to his disciples, and I want him to be greater. In Jesus' growing impact, John found his own joy fulfilled. And he uses this illustration of the Near Eastern wedding when actually the bride 
um, groom has got this best men equivalence that is helping the bridegroom to come and is doing all the, the, the necessary things. And the moment that he sees the bridegroom in the distance, his job is finished. His joy is complete. He is fulfilled because he has worked hard. He's done the uttermost uh, to, 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 to make it possible for this wedding to go ahead. And now the job is finished. And that's how John is trying to explain uh, his ministry. So he's recognizing Jesus' growing impact. And he's also recognizing that Jesus needs to go and be bigger and him becoming smaller. And Jesus recognizes John's ministry. We'll see it later on that he talks about, actually, uh, Jesus recognizes John's ministry and regards it as John fulfilling the Scriptures. He talks to him, Jesus talks about John as the messenger. Jesus talks about John as more than a prophet. Well, as I said earlier on, the climax of all the prophets. Yes, he was great. There is no greater prophet than John the Baptist. But in the grand scale of the kingdom that Jesus is starting with his first coming, John becomes a minor figure. Because again, what John is saying about Jesus is true. That John becomes lesser and Christ becomes more. What a great attitude. Now, joy, what does this have to do with John the Baptist? Well, he talks about joy being fulfilled. And some of you would say, well, but that's not straightforward because when we read the Scriptures, John the Baptist is quite a complex figure. He starts off very well. He, he's very good in laying the roads. And then we read in Luke chapter 7 that actually John is in prison and he sends off his disciples to ask Jesus whether he is the Messiah or not. Open your scriptures, Luke chapter 7. And then we're going to be reading verses 18 to 35. I'm not going to read the whole of it, but, but um, so John sends the disciples to Jesus. Are you the one who was to come, or should we have expected somebody else? And John the Baptist, um, sorry, the, the, the disciples went and asked Jesus. Um, he sends them with a question, so the question is repeated twice. And then Jesus replies to the messengers, and he says, Go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of of me. So this is such a, a complex figure. John the Baptist, 
who has been the guy who's laid, who's paved the roads for Christ. Now he is questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah or should, should they have waited uh, for somebody else. And I, I love it how Scripture is not um, reserved in reflecting to us, in pointing out to us the shortcomings of the prophets and the people who followed God. So here we've got John, and here we've got Jesus, and the way that Jesus deals with John. In one sense, John is saying that his joy is fulfilled because he has seen Christ. And on the other hand, he's sending messengers because it's not the Christ that he had envisioned. It's very interesting because what I see here is that John is being pushy. He's being pushy. He wants that the expectations that he had for the Messiah to be going according to what John had in mind and, what, and not what God had in plan. And I love, I love the way that Jesus deals with John. He's not telling him off, but Jesus is pointing John back to the Scriptures. He's quoting Isaiah 29, he's quoting Isaiah 60, he's quoting different parts of Scripture, and he's saying, actually, this is what the kingdom of, come, of God looks like. If, John, you expected vengeance because... Herod and the others are doing your head in with the way that they've constructed the empire and the way that they're ruling the, the, the Jewish people and you've longed so much for this Messiah. This is not what the kingdom looks like. It's not a monarch with the, the territory and everything that comes with that. This is the new kingdom. That's why Jesus is saying um, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, when he says uh, that this scripture is fulfilled in me when he's quoting again Isaiah and is saying the same thing. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. So John, yes, yes, you, you, you were very good in, in, in pointing the way, but now your, your skewed um, view of who the Messiah is needs to be corrected. And I just wonder whether the story of John and his his pursuit of Christ is a good help for us as we wait on his coming. Perhaps you've got a view of Christ which is probably limited, like mine. Perhaps you want Jesus to do certain things for you and not other things. Perhaps 
Um, you, you want to, to be a little bit different with your expectations of who he is. And like me, perhaps you've got unrealistic expectations. Perhaps in this Advent, you wanted for Jesus to come and extinguish all the pandemic with one go. Wouldn't that be great? It's great. Perhaps you wanted Jesus to come and totally um, wipe everything, all your problems away. Maybe you wanted Jesus to come and, and walk in and sort out a, a relationship issue that you're facing. And we've got all this perceived expectation of who Jesus is and what he can do for us. And perhaps it's time for us to pause and to say that in his coming, Jesus is much more than what we accept him to be and more, much more than what we expect him to be. And perhaps it's time for us to tune with God and bring those expectations that we have to say, Lord, here I am with my expectations. It's very important to see that actually, even with those expectations that John the Baptist had about Christ, he was put back to the Scriptures. He was pointed back to go to the prophets. It was pointed back to go back to God's Word. And that's what I wanted to encourage us as we wait for Him today, as we're thinking about this joy being full. It's not an attitude that we adopt because of our circumstances, because of our expectations, because of our ideologies. But it's an a posture of heart. So if the first Sunday was actually to lean forward, last Sunday was the idea of embracing. Today is that attitude of rejoicing because of the God's hope and promise that is in His words. We have to constantly check ourselves that we are making sure that we are on track with God's promises. Because as we said earlier on in the readings, He is trustworthy. So, as I bring this to conclusion, our corrupted nature, our skewed view of expectations of who God is, needs to come into the light, needs to be filtered, needs to be brought into the Scripture. And it's the Scripture then that dictates us. It is the Scripture that sets that grandeur of who God is so we can put our hope in Him and we can rely in His promises. So joy is not just a feeling of feeling happy. It's much more than that. 
For those of you who love the Lord Jesus, for those of you who have given your lives to Him, joy is that attitude, that rejoice of who He is and what He has come to accomplish, regardless of the circumstances. So, my challenge to myself and to you this morning is that each and every one of us shows that sign of willingness. That's what was the last reading that one of the young people read. And this is the, the third candle, the pink candle, is the sign of our willingness. How awesome are your deeds, O oh God. Let's pray together. Thank you that John the Baptist does not mince his word, but thank you, Lord, that your word doesn't mince its words either. So we bring ourselves to you, we bring our willingness to you. We bring our expectations to you. And we lay them down at the cross. And we trust that through the fresh revelation of Jesus Christ through His words, we'll get new wisdom, new insight, new vision in how we can continue to build our lives in your hope, in your promises. Knowing that you love us, knowing that you care for us, knowing that you've died on the cross for us, and knowing that you are coming again. Lord, help us to rejoice in you and in the Lord of our salvation, as the psalm says. And help us, Lord, to be contagious with that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.